Welcome to Nanobot G-Spot, a podcast dedicated to talking about the possibilities of the future and what technology can bring. It's a part sci-fi, part philosophy, part futurist podcast. Today is the third episode where we're going to talk about senses, developing senses and psychedelics. Now, I'm a highly sensitive person, not emotionally, but uh, physically. So I think about senses all the time, and I do think about ways to enhance them. I really got started on this line of thinking uh, when I was watching this show called C. It's on Apple TV, and uh, after two episodes, I ended up subscribing. It also has Jason Momoa in it. In the show, it is about 500 years after a globally destructive event in which during or after humans lost their vision, literally. In in the show, they chalk that up to humans were ruining the earth and nature fights back by taking something away. So, vision. Um, And then, you know, at this point, there are only 200 million humans left on earth scattered about and every single one of them is blind, with a few exceptions, of course. The way these tribes, or the few focused on in the show, move about their world and perceive their world is fascinating, and all based on their now naturally heightened hearing, smell, touch, and of course taste, which tends to be affected by and work with smell. Vision is perceived as witchcraft. It would be like humans now having magnetoception, like birds or x-ray vision or something. And magnetoception is cool because it allows one to detect magnetic fields like the Earth's poles, which is how birds are able to fly south in the winter and north in the spring and uh, not get lost. If, if, If a human had that sense to the degree that the bird has it, with our abilities to problem solve and build, that human would have quite the advantage. The truth is humans do have a magnetoception sense just not to the extent of birds. In fact, humans have a lot more senses than the known five. At this point, it is known we have about 20, actually at least 20, most likely more. In any of these discussions, it's always important to define that which we are talking about. And uh, in this case, we need to define sense. What is sense? Wikipedia has it as any system that consists of a group of sensory cell types that respond to a specific physical phenomenon and that corresponds to a particular group of regions within the brain where the signals are received and interpreted. A sense is a physiological capacity of organisms that provides data for perception. The nervous system has a specific sensory nervous system responsible for processing sensory information and a sense organ or sensor dedicated to each sense. So the basic mechanic of senses is that a stimulus like sound or light hits the sensor or sensory cells and is translated into a signal that travels through the nervous system to the brain, which then interprets that signal into information like an image or sound. Basically, the input and output. Sight, hearing, taste, smell, and touch are the five senses that we have always been taught 
How is it that we go from five to 20 plus though? First of all, a few of those OG5 are made up of several senses themselves. Sight or vision covers at least two senses, at least in humans, because we have two different receptors, cones for color and rods for brightness. Taste is a type of receptor which facilitates the sensation of taste. When food or other substances enter the mouth, molecules interact with saliva and are bound to taste receptors in the oral cavity or other locations. These receptors are of four types, sweet, sour, bitter, and umami, which some would call savory. But a fat taste receptor may have been discovered. Meanwhile, evidence of a receptor for salt, once touted as having a taste receptor, is shaky at best. So you win some, you lose some. And the visual and olfactory, um, and of course the hot and cool um, trigeminal, uh, they all contribute to the perception of taste. So taste in itself uh, isn't in a vacuum, um, but our perception is based on a few other senses outside of taste. Smell, which is also called olfactory sense, um, it's a chemoreception that forms the sense of smell. It occurs when odorants bind to specific sites on olfactory receptors located in the nasal cavity. These signals are aggregated and transmitted to the parts of the brain responsible for smell identification, memory, and emotion. Olfactory has many purposes, such as the detection of hazards, pheromones, and food. It integrates with other senses to form the sense of flavor. Our um, olfactory sense is also very tied to our uh, memory sense, our sense memory, I should say. Um, and we are able to remember scent very easily as much as, as um, visually. Our sense of smell is extremely important, actually, and apparently is a big part of why we don't want to have sex with our siblings. Uh, I feel like there are a lot of parts to that, but um, there is this these genes called MHC genes, and they're a group of genes present in many animals and important for the immune system in general. Offspring from parents with differing MHC genes have a stronger immune system. Fish, mice, and female humans are able to smell some aspect of the MHC genes of potential sex partners and prefer, and prefer partners with those genes that are different from their own. Humans can detect blood relatives from olfaction. Mothers can identify by body odor their biological children, but not their stepchildren. Pre-adolescent children can by scent by their nose, detect their full siblings, but not half-siblings or step-siblings, and this might explain incest avoidance. There's also an interesting conversation to be had about body odor and our brain chemistry. Um, I was having this conversation the other night that some people have, they just have a, um, are in a category of smell that that I tried identifying, like, uh, this is going to sound so weird, but I feel like my body odor smells like crayons. And um, I've noticed some people smell like uh, salami or ham sandwich, while others have kind of a 
a burnt sugary smell. I'm not sure how else to describe that. The 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 salami people, <laughs> um, that is a smell I can't stand. Uh, there's there's also kind of a a dry air mildew smell um and now this is just body odor so it's not like i assume everybody smells like this it's like after a workout uh but like you know those are a couple that i can't i can't stand to be around and for some reason i'm absolutely okay with my own crayon smelling armpits (laughs) Um, but that's a big part of chemistry and studies have been done to show that people um go for you know um a certain certain people without knowing um, consciously anyway um, and then realize later that they have this specific smell and that's kind of, that happens to be the one that they tend to go for so there's um, this, this subconscious way that, that we go about smelling our fellow humans and deciding if we're gonna uh, have sex with them or not and there's also the hearing, the sense of hearing. For sound, the sensory cells um, make up the eardrum and that detects vibration from the air or water that hits it. Simple enough. And then there is the uh, touch sensation um, called somatosensation or tactation. So we've probably heard the word tactile. And that is a perception resulting from activation of the neural receptors generally in the skin, including hair follicles, but also the tongue, throat, and mucous membranes. A variety of pressure receptors responds to variations in pressure, firm, brushing, sustained, etc. So touch can also be broken up to a few, broken up in a few senses. So now that we have the OG5 out of the way, Let's talk about the rest. Magnetoception, we already went into this, but it's the ability to detect magnetic fields, which is principally useful in providing a sense of direction when detecting the Earth's magnetic field. Unlike most birds, humans do not have a strong magnetoception. However, experiments have demonstrated that we do tend to have some sense of magnetic fields. The mechanism for this is not completely understood. It is theorized that this has something to do with deposits in of ferric iron in our noses. This would make sense to humans who are given magnetic implants that have been shown to have a much stronger magnetoreception than humans without. There has also been some recent research suggesting that a light-sensitive receptor protein in the rods in the human eye responds particularly well to blue light can facilitate magnetoreception in humans. Equilibrioception is the sense of balance, equilibrium. It's located in the inner ear. These sensors detect acceleration and gravity. Another receptor takes information from three sensors that detect the motion of fluid caused by three-dimensional rotation of the head. It sort of makes sense because you need three points to to find the coordinates of a three-dimensional space. And what is interesting is that idea is used in the technology uh, in your iPhone. So if you've heard of the accelerometer, accelerometer, (laughs) trying that again, um, that is based on the same idea. Thermoreception is a sense of heat and the absence of heat, which is cool. 
by the skin and internal skin passages, or rather the heat flux, the rate of heat flow in those areas, not to be confused with the receptors in the brain meant to detect and regulate internal body temperature. Proprioception provides the parietal cortex of the brain with information on the movement and relative positions of the parts of the body. This is actually uh, was considered touch, but it's, it's, it's its own sense. It is awareness of where our limbs are and how our bodies are positioned in space. A cop may test this sense in a roadside sobriety test. The molecule size receptor called Piezo 2, discovered only 10 years ago, by the way, Piezo 1 is a receptor responsible for monitoring blood pressure, so that is a sense, but that's like a really minor one. Well, it's major, because I guess if you don't have it, you, you die. Anyway, uh, it's, so Piezo 2 is only recently discovered, and, there are, and we've also discovered people who are missing this receptor, who are touch blind. Without the receptor, we would have to look at our feet to walk, and if the lights went out, we might collapse on the floor. We would also not have the ability to sit up straight or to feel where our spine is and the position it should be in. Just saying that out loud made me sit up straight. And so people without that sense, um, they need guidance. In um, And a few of these people, it's an incredibly rare um, genetic mutation, but the people who, who are touch blind, who are missing this receptor, they um, can walk, but are mostly will just use a wheelchair because um, it, who, wouldn't, who would want to just watch their feet while they're walk, walking the entire time? I mean, our receptor allows us to move and work while our eyes follow what is going on in the outside world. Otherwise, we would need our eyes to watch our own body in order to do these, these basic things. Nociception, the physiological pain sense, signals nerve or tissue damage. This is another important one, in my opinion. The three types of pain receptors are cutaneous, somatic, cutaneous is skin, somatic is joints and bones, and visceral, body organs. It was previously believed that pain was simply the overloading of pressure receptors, so pain was under, was, um, was under the touch sensation, but it's not, and in fact it's three different receptors. Um, but research in the first half of the 20th century indicated that pain is a distinct phenomenon that intertwines with all the other senses, including touch. The main function of pain is to attract our attention to dangers and motivate us to avoid them. For example, humans avoid touching a hot object, and if we do touch it, it hurts, and we quickly pull away, which prevents further damage beyond some redness. Without pain, people could do many dangerous things without being aware of the dangers. Basically, if you don't have the sense, and this is another rare uh, genetic mutation that, that some folks don't have, um, they have to really pay attention to what they're doing because they could be doing something that's actually killing them and not realizing it. And to round out all these senses are the internal senses called interoceptions that detect stimulus in the body. Those can be safe for another day because 
let's just assume that training these would be much harder and probably useless to train for something that they already do. Um, we wouldn't want them to respond to external forces. These are things like feeling hungry um, or that our bladder is full, um, a feeling that we need to vomit, or sensors that detect high blood pressure. So we just won't mess with those ones. Now the big question, how can we enhance all these senses? Maybe we could become some sort of superhero. Cyber implants is one way, like magnetic implants given to humans that allowed them to have that slightly stronger sense of magnetic fields. When scientists identify the receptors for each sense, they can target them with implants or drugs to turn those receptors off or on or enhance them. When you're walking, there's all these pressure receptors in your feet that will be activated every time you take a step. It gives our brains the information about where the body is. We have so many inputs in our sensory system that gives us feedback and orient our minds to what our bodies are doing and learning how the brain does this, what algorithms it uses to build these models and utilize them, will help scientists better build better cybernetic machines like prosthetics directly controlled by an amputee's nervous system. While current prosthetics are getting pretty good at taking signal from the brain and moving, making a movement based on that, there hasn't been a whole lot done in closing that loop and getting sensory information back. In other words, we have prosthetics that get the output, but not the input. And along this cybernetic uh, implant uh, topic is transhumanism. It sounds like a new concept, but it's really not. But if you've ever seen the series on HBO called Years and Years, uh, highly recommend it. Um, there, it, it, you would have heard of, of transhumanist, um, transhumanism, as one of the teenagers in, in the show identified as transhuman and um, wanted and got the cybernetic implants that was able to enhance her working and living abilities uh, in a way that's, that's uh, very enviable. So transhumanism is an international philosophical movement that advocates for the transformation of the human condition by developing and making widely available sophisticated technologies to greatly enhance human intellect and physiology, just like in that show. Transhumanist thinkers study the potential benefits and dangers of emerging technologies that could overcome fun fundamental human lim limitations, as well as the ethical limitations of using such technologies, which would become the, the topic of another podcast. But since we don't have these capabilities yet, and I don't know if I'm into putting magnets up my nose for some slight sense of magneticism. Um, what other ways can we use to train our senses? Psychedelics like LSD 
The difference between the brain normally and under the influence of LSD shows a significant increase in connections made between different parts of the brain, and parts are activated that are normally not activated. Researchers have shown that this allows a rewiring of sorts to help someone quit smoking, for instance. Different neural paths are activated. This research is also consistent with findings that meditation and substances like LSD or MDMA can be used to treat de depression and anxiety. If the experiential antidotes aren't enough, now scientists are kind of joining this argument that psychedelics and meditations are two sides of the same coin. The type of mind-altering drug might be of importance. MDMA, which is ecstasy, for example, strongly influences your physical senses. Instead of meditating on some internal mental processes, which probably would be more like for LSD, it may work better with meditation that involves external stimuli. These types of meditation bring out the effects of a substance like MDMA, highlighting them as the intentional focus of the trip. Put on a blindfold and take time feeling and smelling and tasting. When you walk around, think about the surface your feet hit, the sound it makes, how it makes your feet feel, how that feeling reverberates up through your legs and into your torso. So could one rewire their brains so that senses that we can't or can barely perceive become more perceptive? The information or stimulus is there. We could affect the neural pathways to a part of the brain that allows us a more conscious perception. I actually watched a pretty recent uh, 60 Minutes on psilocybin, which is um, mushrooms. Um, that research done at John Hopkins University has shown that these mushrooms have been successfully used to treat anxiety and depression, but even more striking to me had been the results for drug, alcohol, and smoking addiction. 80% of participants in the study have been able to quit smoking six months after the treatment, which is double the success rate of any over-the-counter smoking secession treatment. The success has shown even when the patient had what they described as a bad trip, which was experienced by 30% of the recipients. So oddly enough, it sounds like a win-win situation as long as you know you get through that nightmare unscathed. Author Michael Pollan has written about these experiments and he notes a trip can absolutely change your entire outlook on life because duh. He was skeptical of the effects until he tried it himself, of course, concluding that love is the most important thing in the universe is profoundly true. Relevant to this conversation, he experienced ego loss, a common effect, scientists say, scientists who are high all the time, because it quiets two parts of the brain that normally communicate with each other, part of a region called the default mode network, which is especially active when we are thinking about ourselves and our lives. He says that it is where you connect the story of your life to who you are, and when that goes quiet, a rewiring happens. When we take psilocybin, there is an explosion of connections between parts of the brain that don't normally talk to each other. This has allowed us to have memories that we never had before, for one. It also allows us to perceive senses differently, like to see sound, for example. 
Perhaps if any of those receptors are sensors connected to a sense, we can perceive a sense in a different way, like seeing sound. It would make sense that psychedelics would be a way to train senses or to discover new ones. Most patients in the John Hopkins study had a significant decrease in their depression and anxiety, and more than two-thirds rated that experience as the most important and significant experiences in their entire lives. That has nothing to do with enhancing senses, but I think it is important information to get out there. As someone with anxiety and depression, makes me wonder. Now, since these substances are currently illegal, even though they have been shown to have great benefits and are generally not addictive, um, they are still illegal. So what about just meditation training? Could we just use meditation to train our senses? Um, I would think in a, you know, yeah. <laughs> Maybe not in quite the same way that meditation in addition to MDMA or LSD or, or uh, magic mushrooms does, but um, you know, as someone who meditates pretty regularly, I always am thinking about, I, I know I can sense things a little bit better. Also, I'm a highly sensitive person, um, which also affects it, but um, when, when I'm sitting on the floor, I in my living room, I can feel somebody walking down the hallway, the outside hallway of the building. And I know what apartment they're going into. It's just, there's, it's, it's both a um, sound and a vibration that comes through the floor. What does the research say though? Um, new research by the University of Dresden Smell and Taste Clinic, that must be fun, they found that the part of the brain responsible for processing smell can grow with exercise, sort of like how bench pressing will pump your pecs or whatever. Even those with just an average sense of smell can increase the size of their olfactory bulbs by a regimen of trying out four aromas twice a day for 30 seconds each. We know this to be true for when a sense is turned off, our brains compensate. For blind folks, for instance, their sense of hearing can be incredibly in tune to sense the smallest of noises or vibrations. For folks who lost their hearing, they might get better at sensing movement or changes in their environment through light touch sensation. So, so blind folks are, are um, they exercise not consciously like their um and their senses are not enhanced uh, automatically when they're born they are they become enhanced through training because their brain has to compensate for the loss of sight so in training you have to establish a base level of smell for instance let's start with smell your own scent focus group control group i mean in other words, smoking is out for obvious reasons, it dulls the senses. Um, also banned are the strong tastes and smells like coffee, hard alcohol, hot sauce, perfume, cologne, overly strong shampoo, salt, and toothpaste. Keep in mind that sensing hot and cold is also a sense. So it is best to keep things as neutral as possible, keeping our aromas, tastes, etc. at room temperature. 
many sommeliers refuse to drink anything above tepid temperature, which also means no hot tea or soup. Take a break from onions and garlic too. Another thing to keep in mind for training is that our sense of smell is better when we're hungry. When wine tasters are training, they put a lot of emphasis on also the language they use to describe what they are sensing. So language to describe what you sense is important. I noticed in the show C that the language was severely limited overall because what we visualize and see has a big impact on how we communicate and most of us read with sight. What would be considered beautiful, for instance? That being said, their language for textures, sounds, vibrations, and scents were heightened. In one scene, a host at a party describes the scents that she used to give the space personality. In this case, the scent was sex, which covers a lot of grounds. Think about all the words used that have anything to do with vision or need vision to understand. Now apply those to your other senses. How could you describe similar things if you are not seeing them? When you are exercising your senses like smell, describe what you smell. Compare the scent to other scents you know. Break it down. When you are meditating through silence or classical music, think of what you hear. Compare it to other beats and music and everyday sounds you hear. Break down the composition. Break down the composition of everything, of, of scent and of sound and of, of vision. As a designer, I do that all the time. But the best way to expand our senses is to continue to break them down and describe them. There you have it, folks. Until we have the technology for cybernetic implants, we have psychedelics and meditation. Do them separately or together. More importantly, meditate on your environment as you move through it. Pay attention to the slight perceptions and ruminate. You might not become a superhero, but you might appreciate and understand the world a little better if you listen to it.